All right, amen. It is a delight, a joy, an honor to be with you here tonight. Thank you for coming on this Thursday evening. And all of that music, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. All right, so. And we don't like any wet wood coming in here. For some of you, this was a cultural experience. <laughs> all right, we got Wagon Wheel Missionary Baptist Church with us tonight. Look at all those wheels over there. We're all the wheels. All right, all right. Thank you for coming. Got Brother Greg tonight. Craig. Craig. He's way in the back over there. And, and I, we got Elmo tonight. Look at I heard all about Elmo. And, and we just brought him in here to keep things lively. All right. So. <laughs> You're also a wheel, right? A wagon wheel. So next week, remember next week, we're over there. That church there in Henderson all week long from Sunday morning right through Friday night as well. And, of course, they've been so gracious and Man, all that gas and all that time, praise God for your sacrifice of coming over here so many nights and offering your uh, musical abilities. And so next week, we want to reciprocate. Next week, many of us want to go over there. Now, I'll be there. I'll be there every night. But uh, we pray that some of you Lone Mountain want people, you Lone Mountain kind of people, you come on over there too. And so we've been having a great time around the Word of God all week long concerning the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, a different facet of that amazing cut diamond called Jesus and all the different facets of his ministry. Last night it was the changing ministry of the Lord Jesus and all you wheels you missed there, uh, Zacchaeus up his tree. <laughs> Man, praise God, he came down from his tree last night and he met Jesus. <laughs> And we talked about the things that keep you up your tree and keep you from coming down to meet the Lord. And so tonight we'll have another facet of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. But before we do, my wife will come now and capstone all that has gone on before with her sacred recitation. And straightway, post-haste, Satan flew before the presence of the Most High God and made a railing accusation there. He said, This soul, this life of play and sod, hath sinned. Tis true that she hath named thy name, but I demand her death. For thou hast said, the soul that sitteth, it must die. Shall not thy sentence be performed? Is justice dead? Send now this wretched sinner to her doom. And thus he did accuse me day and night. And every word he spoke of me was true. Then one rose up from God's right hand, before whose glory angels veiled their eyes. He spoke. Each jot and tittle of the law must be fulfilled. The guilty sinner dies. But wait, 
Suppose her guilt were all transferred to me. Behold my hands, my feet, my side. One day I was made sin for her and died, that she might be presented faultless at thy throne. Then Satan fled away. Full well he knew that he could not prevail against such love. For every word my dear Lord spoke was true. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Grace. Appreciate that. And that uh, that recitation comes from 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 1. My little children are right unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So that recitation is called My Advocate. And we all need an advocate. The Lord Jesus is our heavenly lawyer. Because when we sin against God, the devil flees before the presence of God to accuse us. And then the Lord reminds them that this is a brand plucked out of the fire. And the Lord Jesus reminds the devil and all of us that he died on the cross in our place paid the penalty of our sin, shed his blood to wash away and forgive us of our sin and then rose again victorious over the grave. Buddha still in his grave. Muhammad is still in his grave. Confucius is still in his grave. Jesus Christ is alive. He's alive and he's alive forevermore. And he now offers freely by his grace the gift the gift of eternal life to all who come and believe and receive it. And so we appreciate all of you being here tonight. We do have some, at least one first-time visitor. Jackie's here tonight. Kevin's been here several nights, but this is the first night for Jackie. And I don't know if she liked the Chuck Wagon gang or not. Because I... she's from Chicago. And it's... I don't know if they got any singing like that in Chicago. But I appreciate them, appreciate them. We had a great dinner tonight with Travis and RJ and, and Kevin and Jackie were with us at the table there. And so we enjoyed that very, very much. Thank you again. All of you have been so special this week, so kind and loving in your preparations as we've had feasts. Every night we're feasting with somebody in this church. And so we appreciate all of you. So let's pray together. Father, right now we come to you in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, to give you praise and adoration, and we give you the glory that's due unto your name. May we worship you in the beauty of holiness. Now I pray, Lord, that you bless now all that has gone before, and now before us is the Word of God. Pray, Lord, you bless us as we understand it. Give us life-changing understanding, even as your Word says in Luke 24, 45, as the Lord Jesus it opens up our understanding that we can understand the scripture. So, Lord, again, meet every spiritual need that is here tonight. There's some who need the Savior. There are those who need a touch from you, a restoration, a recalibration, a refreshing, a reviving. So, Lord, just meet every need here tonight as we go to this great chapter. In Christ's name, amen. I don't know how many of you, how many of you have ever been to Disney World? How many of you have been to Disney World down in Florida? All right. 
I don't know if you remember, they have a particular ride, and this is years ago for me, but they had a ride called the Pirates of the Caribbean. You remember that? And you get in this boat, and it has a waterway, and then all the way, these pirates and their robot things and animation, they're doing all kinds of crazy things, and and you got this this guy in the prison, and he's trying to beg the dog to give him the key so he can get out of prison, you know, and just every turn, every turn of of the waterway, there's something that these pirates are doing, and then way off in the distance, you hear a voice that says, dead men tell no tales. And other things are going around you, but way off you still hear it. Dead men tell no tales. And then you get closer and closer, and it gets louder and louder. Dead men tell no tales. And then you go under a bridge where this guy is keeps saying it long after you're past there, and other things are going on way back in the distance. Dead men tell no tales. Well, I want to tell you tonight, there is a dead man who told tales. (laughs) Dead man who told tales, the raising ministry of the Lord, it's in John chapter 11. Some of you are familiar with this passage of Scripture. Others may not be, but it is a fantastic account of the Lord Jesus touching and changing lives. You remember we've been talking about this, the ten lepers in Luke 17. Lives dramatically changed, especially that one leper. Are we with the nine? Or are we with the one? All right, a bunch of you are with the one, I pray so. And then we talked last night, of course, about the, the, uh, the touch, the touch in that man Zacchaeus and how the Lord just absolutely changed his life, radically, dramatically changed that man's life. And now we have another man who's going to be touched and changed forever again, and his name is Lazarus. Lazarus. John chapter 11, now a certain man. John 11, verse 1, that's where I am. Is that where you are? All right, that's where we need to be. I'm just going to give you an exposition. I don't have time to do this whole story and chapter because it's a lot there, but I'm going to give you as much as I can in the next three hours. Uh, Yeah, I got... I got five-hour message, but only three hours to give it to you. So, uh, no, we won't be. We won't be that. Uh, I'm sure Jackie's got to go home and do something for tomorrow. Right? You got to get ready for speech therapy tomorrow. She's got a master's in speech therapy. So, if any of you have any trouble uh, talking, you can see her afterward. Right? But here we find this account: a certain man was sick. A certain man was sick, named Lazarus of Bethany the town of Mary and her sister Martha. So you have two sisters and a brother. They live in a house in the village called Bethany. Bethany means house of dates. Some of you single adults would like to go there. House of dates. I'd like to have a date. Actually, date is a fruit, and I love it. I love it every time I go to Israel. I've been there ten times now. This January, we get to Jericho, and my same guy is there every time I go. He's an he's a Arabic guy there, and he's selling dates, and it's $6 a box, but because I know him, $5 a box. 
So I buy two big old boxes and I bring them home and they last a long time. I love dates. Bethany, the house of dates. Bethany is a village that's on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And again, that's a wonderful thing to join me in Israel because you really learn the geographics and you really learn about the topography and you learn about the culture and you learn all about Jewish culture and antiquity. And, and we have the Jerusalem, the big city of Jerusalem sits on a mountain. And then there's the Kidron Valley to the east. The Kidron Valley separates the mountain that Jerusalem sits on, and the Mount of Olives. You know the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane. On the other side of the Mount of Olives are two villages you need to know about, Bethany and Bethpage. How many of you call that Bethpage all of your life? All right, Bethpage, and that is where the Lord, of course, gets the donkey to get ready for the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday. And so Bethany, though, is the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. It was a small village. Archaeologists tell us it had about 90 inhabitants. And it's only two miles from Jerusalem. So many Bethany people go to Jerusalem shopping and working, and, and then they return back to Bethany at the end of the day. And here we have these great friends of the Lord Jesus, Lazarus, Mary, and Sister Martha. Luke 10, 38 tells us that Martha is the oldest. It's called Martha's house. Perhaps she inherited it from her parents when they died. And so we have these three siblings together. Verse 3, therefore his sisters sent unto him. They sent a letter. They sent an email, whatever it was. They sent a message to the Lord Jesus saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. They didn't even mention his name. They, they knew Jesus would know who they were talking about. <laughs> Jesus is two days' journey east in the place called Perea. Perea, south of Decapolis, that whole area east of the Jordan River. And so he's two days' journey away. While he's gone, Lazarus takes sick, I mean sick, Unto death, this is terminal. And so they sent him a message, He whom thou lovest is sick. And I'm sure as I'm standing here that Mary and Martha and even Lazarus thought when Jesus got that message, he would drop everything. Drop everything and make haste back to Bethany to heal his great earthly friend, Lazarus. Oh, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and his, her sister and Lazarus. And the Lord Jesus loves you. You can put your name in there. Amen. The Lord Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Can you imagine being a personal friend of the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah, you know, because if you're saved, you are a personal friend. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the difference about born-again Christianity. There's a lot of people out there, over a billion people out there, claim to be Christians, but they don't know what that is. They simply know, they simply know about God. They can rehearse certain facts about God the Father. They can rehearse certain facts about God the Son. They might rehearse certain facts about God the Spirit. They know the factual. They know it intellectually and in their mind, but they've never met him. See, you either know about him or you know him. Amen. You don't know him until you're born into his family. 
Jesus said it in John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You are not going to heaven if you're not born again. Jesus said so. So we better know what he meant. Some of you know it because I preached that two services on Sunday. And we learned all about what it means to be born again. Because a lot of people are confused and misunderstand that term. So the Lord loved Martha, sister, and Lazarus, and he loves you. I, I assure you, I guarantee it with every fiber of my being. The Lord God of heaven loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, whosoever places their faith, their trust, their dependency for eternal life in him and him alone, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. He loves you. He loved them. Verse 6, when he had heard, therefore, that he was sick, Jesus gets the message. He hears, of course, that Lazarus in Bethany is sick. He knows all about it because he's God in the flesh. And he's omniscient, all-knowing. He knows exactly what's going on back in Bethany. But he receives the message. And he abode two days still in the same place where he was. That doesn't sound like our Lord Jesus. We do find him on other occasions dropping what he was doing and rushing to the side of some person that he would heal. And here he's waiting two more days. And he's two days' journey away. So if he waits two days and then it takes two days to get back, that's four days. And I'm sure Mary and Martha... Do not understand this. Just like we don't understand many times the divine delays of God. How do you handle it when you're in dire need and you cry to God in prayer and he doesn't answer you right away? Has he failed you? But you can get discouraged. And the devil preys upon these times. God always always has a purpose in his delays. We'll certainly see a grand purpose here. This is going to be a crescendo of the earthly ministry of Christ. God has his reasons. God has his purposes. All things work together for good to them that love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. He always has purpose in what he does. He always has your best interests at heart. He will do whatever it takes to conform you to the image of his beloved son. Divine delays. Watch it, because there's when the devil's going to come to you. What does what 1 Peter 5, 7 say? Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. You can cast all your cares upon him because he does care for you. But if he delays in answering you, there's the devil now in the next verse. There's a reason why 1 Peter 5, 8 follows 5, 7. I know that's amazing to some of you. <laughs> amazing. 8 follows 7. That's amazing. <laughs> but you know, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. And then verse 8, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Contextually, how is he going to 
devour you because you're going to listen to him when he says, God doesn't really care about you. Yeah, 5 7. You, you casted all your care upon God, but he's not answering you. God didn't really care about you. God doesn't really love you. If God loved you, if he cared about you, you wouldn't be in this mess. He'd have come to your aid a long time ago. Oh, the devil, the devil uses these things. You got to be careful. Don't get devoured. The devil wants to devour some of you eternally. He's going to the lake of fire and he can try to take you with him. Uh, remember the devil's first name? Lou. What's his last name? Zer. Loser. Loser. That's his name. He's a defeated foe. He's the enemy of God. He's the enemy of you. He hates you. The devil hates you. He hates your soul. He wants to drag you to hell with him because this time is short. Revelation 20.10. Revelation 20.10. The devil's going to be cast into the lake of fire forever. He can try to take you with him, trying to devour you eternally. But if you are a born-again, heaven-bound, blood-bought child of God, the devil cannot devour you eternally. But he'll seek to devour your testimony and your peace and your joy. And so the divine delays. God always has his reasons. Don't try to figure God out. Romans 11.33 says, His ways are past finding out. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. Deuteronomy 29.29, there's just certain things and mysteries about God. He's going to let that trip you up. You'll never understand all the mysteries of God, because if you did, then you'd be God. The mysteries of God. The Lord Jesus said being born again is like the wind. John 3, 8. The wind blows where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or going. So it is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Amen. What do you know about wind? Wind is invisible. But you believe it, don't you? Yeah. Have you had people say to you, you pastor friends here, well, if I, if I can't see it, I won't believe it. Yeah. Oh, is that real? So, do you believe in Wind. You can't see wind. You can see what it does. You see the effects of it in the trees. You can see what it does to the flag on the flag. You can't see wind. It's invisible. Would you believe it? And you see the effects of it. You know, wind. Wind is very powerful. We just had a hurricane down in Florida. Oh, hurricane, sorry. Yeah, I just had one. Had a, had a dandy there a while back. A lot of wind power, tornadoes, <laughs> tornadoes and hurricanes. The most powerful thing a human being can ever do is to get born again. Amen. All the power of God is placed within you. And then we spend a lifetime learning how to use that power. Wind is very mysterious. You can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going next. I have some meteorologist people in my meetings, and they said, you know, you're right. We've been studying the wind. We have degrees in meteorology, and we don't understand the wind. <laughs> You'll never fully understand the mysteries of God. So don't be discouraged. Don't get depressed. Don't let the devil rob you of your joy. Amen. Jesus is delaying, Amen. and he's got reasons. He's got purposes. 
And so the Lord now announces to the apostles, in verse 11, these things said he after that he has said unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, sleepeth. But I go that I may awake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Well, Lord, if he sleep, he shall do well. That's what you do when you get sick. You go to bed, you sleep. (laughs) Howbeit Jesus spake of his death. But they thought that he had taken of spoken of, of taking of rest in sleep. So again, the disciples, they were a little dull of understanding. They're kind of like the rest of us, aren't they? (laughs) So we're going to we're going back to Bethany because our friend Lazarus sleepeth. The word sleep is only used of saved, born-again people who die in Christ. Amen. The word used for those who are not saved, who are not born again, who are still in their sin, is perish. They shall not perish, Jesus said, but have eternal life when you come to Christ. So you'll never see the words perish and sleep interchanged. Unsaved people die in their sin and they perish. Saved people sleep, not soul sleep. I mentioned this the other night. No, because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The moment a born-again believer dies, his spirit made alive spirit, Ephesians 2, 1, and his soul that has been redeemed and washed in the blood of Christ, and his body goes into the ground, his soul and spirit immediately separate from his human body, they go immediately into the presence of the Lord. So Lazarus has died. Verse 14, then said Jesus unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Here's where I begin my outline. I don't always use an outline, but I will tonight. T's and C's. T's and C's for you homiletically minded people out there. (laughs) Verse 14, Lazarus is dead. This is a true comment. True. Lazarus is dead. Lazarus died. You know, and it's interesting, in the Jewish economy of things, you're not really dead till after three days. Why the Lord spent three days and three nights in a tomb, a borrowed tomb of Arimathea. I got a whole message on where was Jesus when his body lay in the grave. Where was Jesus? What was he doing in those three days and three nights? Very important. That's why the gospel includes the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The word burial, just, well, we got a filly. Yeah, we bar- no, there's things that happen during the burial that are important and significant to the gospel message. And so, Lazarus is dead, a true comment. And this is not popular, is it? The unpopularity of death. I remember when we were boys in West Bend, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee's where I grew up, and we had a a mosquito infestation. And so the city of West Bend had these trucks, and they pulled behind a fogger, mosquito fogger, you know, all this, all this pesticide, insecticide, uh, mosquito-killing stuff comes out of the back of that little machine as it goes down the road. And my twin brother, I do have a twin brother, we were womb mates. And so, uh, and so uh, 
And we're there following that truck. We're just dancing in that fog. You know, we're just having the time of our life. Hey, yes, that's that. Boy, look at this. This is a really neat contraption here. Got this, all this stuff coming out of the back of it. We're dancing. And my mom, my mom said, you boys get out of that. That stuff's poison. Don't let me catch you doing that again. The next time the fogger come through, here we are. <laughs> so my mom, smart woman, says, all right, I warned you, you're going to die. <laughs> you were playing in that fog, that pesticide stuff, you're going to die. And she found some little thing on my says, hey, there it is, it's starting, it's starting there. And I'm going, oh, oh, no. And I tell you, my twin brother got in the, knelt down by our beds and we're just crying out for our lives. <laughs> Spare us. <laughs> Why, we didn't want to die. Do you want to die? Death's not a popular subject. In fact, we tuck the subject of death way back in the reclusiveness of our minds. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to think about dying. And the only time we're forced to think about it is when a family member dies, somebody at work dies, a neighbor dies, a friend dies. And for a couple of days, the thoughts of death are pushed to the forefront of our mind. We go, we go to the viewing, we go to the funeral memorial service, we go to the graveside service, and as soon as we can, we tuck that subject of death back into our minds. We don't want to think about it, but we need to think about it. Because although death is unpopular, it is a reality. Death is a reality that every one of us must face. The only certain thing about life is that someday, sooner or later, you're going to die. <laughs> Unless, of course, the rapture takes place, which we'll talk about next week. <laughs> and many have said, I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. Because <laughs> any moment, the Lord Jesus may come again. If you want to hear about prophecy, come next week to Wagon Wheel Missionary Baptist Church in Henderson. Lazarus is dead, facing the reality of death. Hebrews 9.27 is appointed unto man once to die. It's appointed unto women and boys and girls and everyone else to die. And after this, the judgment. 2 Samuel 14.14 says, For we must needs die. And there's water spilt on the ground which cannot be gathered up again. Neither doth God respect any person. God is not a respecter of persons when it comes to death. Children die. Teenagers die. Young people die. Middle-aged people, old people, they all die. Black people die. White people die. Every color dies. Rich people die. Poor people die. God is no respecter of persons. The day is coming when you're going to die. Psalm 89, 48, what man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Proverbs 27, 1 says, boast not thyself for tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. There's not one person in this room who can say, I guarantee I'll be alive tomorrow. You can't say that. You may die this evening. You may die in the night. You may die before another day dawns. There's some people have a real problem with this, though, facing the reality of death. And they have a problem because they don't want to prepare for it. 
I've shared the gospel with people and showed them from the Bible how they can be born again and how they can be saved. Would you be interested in that? No, 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 not today. I'm, I'm too busy. Too busy to prepare for death. And then death will catch them by surprise and they'll end up in hell. That's why Amos 4.12 says, prepare to meet thy God. You've got to make a preparation. And it doesn't come through being religious or baptized or confirmed or first communions or sacraments or laws, traditions, rules. None of those will save you. None of those died for you. No church died for you. Jesus died for you. No denomination died for you. Jesus died. That baptistry, that baptistry didn't die for you. Jesus died for you. Sacraments didn't die for you. Candles didn't die for you. Saints didn't die for you. Mary didn't die for you. No one or no thing can save you except the Lord Jesus and him alone. You want to be saved? You want to be born again? You come directly to him. And so got to prepare. Some people don't want to do that. I'm going to give you this story, true story. This actually took place some years ago in one of the cities of our nation. This was a particular church that had a real burden to reach their community, so they had a bus ministry. I remember when I was saved in 1976, everybody had a bus ministry. There was an era of Christianity in our country where you, you just got to get a bus, man. You got to bus people to Sunday school, and, and you go out door knocking every Saturday morning looking for kids to ride the bus, sometimes adults to ride the bus. And, and so this particular church had a bus ministry, and they're going through Saturday mornings knocking on doors looking for kids to ride their bus. And I knocked on a particular door, and an eight-year-old girl answered. And they said, hey, we're from this particular church. We, we have a love for this community. We have this bus. And we, do, do your parents take you to Sunday school? No, they don't. Well, we have a bus. We can come right by and pick you up tomorrow morning and take you to church, and then we'll bring you back. Would you like to do that? Oh, I'd love to do that, she said. Well, go ask your parents if it's all right. And she asked her dad. And he said, yeah, yeah, go ahead if you want to go. And so bus comes down the next morning picks her up, she goes to Sunday school and morning service of the church, and she hears for the first time in her life the saving gospel of the Lord Jesus. Oh, that she can have a personal relationship with him through this new birth, because the Lord Jesus died for that eight-year-old girl, and he shed his blood to forgive her sin and rose again from the dead, that she might be justified and redeemed. And so she hears the gospel, she gets saved. That morning, born again, her old life in Adam dies, her, old, her new life in Christ begins, and she's so excited about it. She goes home that afternoon, Dad, Daddy, Daddy, I got saved this morning. Oh, Daddy, won't you come next Sunday? Won't you come with me and you too can hear how to be saved? No, I'm too busy for that. You know, that girl begged him every Saturday night, please come with me tomorrow morning to church. And he'd always have an excuse, and he'd put her off for another week. But she kept it. She was so persistent. She had tenacity. <laughs> and finally, finally, one Saturday night, Dad says, All right, all right, I'll go with you tomorrow morning. Oh, she was elated. She got on the phone, and she called her, her preacher, 
Pastor, Pastor, you'll never believe it. My dad is coming with me to church tomorrow. Oh, Pastor, please preach the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. Please preach that Jesus loves my dad and died for him in his place and shed his blood and he rose again from the dead and offers my dad the gift of eternal life. Oh, Pastor, please preach the simple gospel. Well, that next morning, here comes that girl. Now she's 10 years old. And she comes walking in with a smile from ear to ear because clasped in her hand is the mammoth hand of her daddy. <laughs> and they, put, they sat in the auditorium and that pastor began his message. I'm preaching today from Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. You know what that chapter is? It's just a genealogy. <laughs> Adam lived so many years and he died. Seth lived so many years and he died. Jared lived so many years and he died. Enos lived so many years and he died. He died and he died. And that was it. That was his message. That little girl was crushed with disappointment. She went running out of that church house crying. The pastor didn't preach the simple gospel like I asked him to. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. That man went home that Sunday afternoon and tried to eat his Sunday dinner. But his appetite was taken from him. That's all he could think about was, and he died, and he died, and he died. He tried to go to sleep that night, but no slumber to his eyes. All he could think about was, and he died, and he died, and he died. He tried to go to work the next day and concentrate on his labors, and he could not. You know what he was thinking? And he died. And he died, and he died. And that man finally came to the realization, I'm going to die, and I'm not saved. He left there, went to the church house, found that pastor, and said, Pastor, you got to help me. I need to be saved. I'm going to die. See, the Spirit of God knew exactly what that man needed to hear. <laughs> See, that man, that man wasn't going to respond to a message on the love of God. He wasn't even going to respond to a message about the cross. The Spirit of God knew what that man needed to do was face the reality that he's going to die and he's not ready. If you're here tonight, if you're here tonight, you're here tonight, you're not saved. You're not ready. You're not ready. You die tonight without being saved, you're heading directly to hell. That's Bible. That's not my opinion. God says that. You're going to die. You're going to die. They're going to contact your relatives. And tell them that you are dead. They're going to call the florist. They're going to call the funeral home. They're going to call some some pastor, some reverend guy and arrange your funeral. And your body will be six feet under the ground. But where will your eternal soul be? That's the question. Because God created us in his image. Number one, God is triune. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God but three personalities. And so he created you, triune. Did you know that? First Thessalonians 5.13, you are spirit, soul, and body. Now, you know what that body is? It's what you try to make it to look as nice as you can. I think I look out here, and some of you spent some time on the body. Because you're, you're good-looking people. Isn't that right, Elmo? You're a good-looking guy there. Hey, hey, bro, I like your fro. Amen. All right, good. All right, we know what the body is. The soul is the real you living inside that body. Your body is just a a flesh container. 
Your body is simply to house your eternal soul. Because God created you in his image and he's eternal. Do you realize that God created you for eternity? You're going to eternally exist. A million years from now, a billion years from now, a zillion years from now, you're still going to be somewhere and you'll be very, very conscious. You'll either be in heaven with God or in the lake of fire with Satan, all depending on what you do with Jesus Christ. So the soul is what gets saved. The soul gets redeemed. It gets justified. It is washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus when you call on him to save you. And then there's the spirit part of man. That's the part of man that has a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And see, every human being is born spiritually dead. If you're here tonight, you've never been saved, you are spiritually dead. That's why you only know about God. You do not know God. And that's why Ephesians 2.1 says, And you hath he quickened, you hath he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. And when you're saved and you're born again by the power of regeneration of the Holy Spirit, your dead spirit is made alive. And you now have a personal relationship with God you never had before. So we're created in His image. Now what if, what if we're all sitting here right now and all of a sudden the ceiling begins to break apart not, not the rope we talked about in John 10, but, but the ceiling begins to break apart and there is a gaping hole and a piece of paper just comes floating gently into this room. It's a communication from God himself. On that piece of paper is your name with the date of your death. The date of your death, Friday, November 11th. 2022, that's tomorrow. If somehow God could communicate to you that the date of your death is tomorrow, would you be listening more carefully tonight? (laughs) If you knew somehow God would let you know tomorrow you will be dead, would you want to be saved tonight? Would you want to be born again tonight? See, I think many people just don't take this seriously. Now, if God were to tell them, you're going to die tomorrow, you better get right with me, well, then they would maybe do that. But most don't even think about that. They go on to their routines of life as though death will never take them. Lazarus is dead, and someday you will be dead. You've got to face the reality. Verse 15, and Jesus said this, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. Now, there's an interesting statement. I'm glad I wasn't there to heal him. I'm glad Lazarus died. So we don't think about God thinking that way. Because remember Psalm 116, the precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. He's looking forward to you dying, you know that? Now he's preserving your life. He's giving you health and strength even to be here tonight. But the day is coming and he knows when it is you're going to die. And if you're saved, you're going to go with him. Amen. He's looking forward to that. He's excited about you dying and coming to be with him. That's why he created you. God created man that the man might exist with him in heaven forever. But then sin came into the picture, messed it all up. That's why we need to be saved, because we're born sinners. 
Because we're born sinners, we choose to sin against God. Everyone in this room has broken the laws of God. You've broken the Ten Commandments. God says you do that, you're a transgressor, and you deserve hell. Every one of us deserves to go to hell. Because every one of us have broken God's laws and done so willingly. And the Lord says, well, I'm glad I wasn't there to heal him. Why? To the intent that ye, speaking to his apostles, <laughs> to the intent that ye may believe. <laughs> Nevertheless, let us go unto him. Do you realize God allows things, even tragic things, death kind of things, to build up somebody else's faith? <laughs> I wonder if we're willing. Say, Lord, I'm just willing to suffer. Whatever you would want me to suffer, whatever trials, whatever maladies and health things and disasters, anything, so that others would believe. How many people, how many nurses and doctors have been led to Christ because some dear saint of God was in there with terminal cancer? Amen. <laughs> Suffering is part of the Christian life. Yes. I remember I was, of course, I was a pastor of a great church out in Washington State, you think you guys are Westerners. <laughs> you, you, you be Easterners. And we're as far west as you can get, unless you live in Hawaii. <laughs> but uh, I'd have people in my office, and I did a lot of counseling. And I, I had a dear lady in my office, and she's just visibly shaking. She's crying, and, and she's telling me about her problem and she, and she says I, I know God doesn't want me to suffer uh, excuse me <laughs> what, what Bible have, been you, have you been reading <laughs> have you ever read the books of first and second Peter <laughs> the apostle Peter writes suffering is a normal part of Christian experience first Peter 4 12 Think it not strange concerning the fiery trials that are to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. The norm, God says, is you're going to suffer. There are going to be things that we suffer physically or even mentally or financially or family relations. There's some area where God is going to call upon you to suffer because the next verse says that we then become partakers of Christ's sufferings. And it's amazing how God allows some people to suffer more than others. I don't understand it. It's all that mystery stuff. I was glad I wasn't there to the intent that you may believe. Are you willing to suffer that somebody else might believe? When God sends you into trials, and whether it's emergency room or wherever it is, or you're thinking, Lord God, through this, cause somebody's faith to be increased, cause somebody to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. So let us go with him, Thomas says in verse 16. Let us, let us also go that, that we may die with him. They, they think, well, we go back there. They wanted to stone the Lord last time we were there. Now he wants to go back there. All right, let's just go with him and die with him. And it's interesting that Thomas will die with him many years later in the country of India. Thomas was an apostle who spent most of his ministry in India, and he was martyred there for the faith. Now, verse 19, and many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Here's our second point. Second point, that's it. Anyway, our second point, 
a typical concern. First, we had a true comment. Lazarus is dead. Now, a typical concern. Isn't this typical? Think about this. Many of the Jews, many people in Jerusalem knew Lazarus. Of course, the 90 people of Bethany all knew Lazarus. So they're all coming now to comfort Mary and Martha, to comfort them concerning their brother. Isn't this typical? What do we do when we go to a funeral? We try to comfort those who are left. And, and, And for centuries, the four big cliches that we use at a funeral... All right, you, you're thinking already, whatever. He looks nice. The, 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 the funeral home, the funeral home did a good job. I mean, we're, we're, we're groping for something to say. Here's this dear crying wife or kids. I'm praying. We do say that, and I hope, if you, I hope if you say it, you mean it. <laughs> Is there anything we can do for you? Let us know if there's anything we can do for you. Come on now, those are the four. <laughs> I was pastored many years. I preached many funerals. I heard it all the time, those four things. Come and comfort. The idea is I want to comfort these people. I hope I have something beyond those four. Four cliches to say, but I want to comfort these people. Now, if you're here tonight, you're not saved, and you die tonight, and and you're going to have somebody preach your funeral, excuse me, would you help me? What do you want us to tell your family? What do you want us to tell them? They're in this gospel meeting, and they walked out of here lost. They heard the gospel. They could have been saved, but they left unsaved. And now i got to preach your funeral. What possible words of comfort can I give to your family? Well, well, he's not suffering anymore. I'll tell you what, if he's not saved, he's suffering more now than he ever has or ever will. He's in hell. What do you want me to tell your family? Somebody help me. What do you want me to tell them? What kind of comfort can I give your family when I knew you died in your sins? And beside that, my Christian friend, you ought to show concern for people before they die. Before they die. I mean, here we are, all nice and kind and comforting. Oh, did did you make every attempt to reach that person with the gospel before they died? Your next door neighbor dies. Can you say before God, I did everything in my power and by God's grace to share the gospel with that person. They didn't listen. But I made that attempt. Your family member, that family member knows that you're a godly, born-again believer and you've done everything you can to try to share the gospel to them and now they died. How about those people you work with? The sad truth is there's some who work in a workplace and they don't even know you're a saved, born-again believer. Do you constantly seek opportunity to lead your fellow workers to Christ? Show a typical concern before they die. Oh, it's one thing to show so much concern after they're dead. We ought to show concern before they died. And so, so we, we move on. Verse 21, then Martha said unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. And we, we get somewhat of her heart 
Lord, I sent you a message. Lazarus was on his deathbed, and I sent you a message to come, and the one that you love is sick. Where were you? We have to be very careful that we don't accuse the Lord. The Lord God of heaven is the epitome of righteousness. He is the totality of all that is right and just. And you and I, little puny people on this earth, we have no right to accuse him or question him or doubt him. And she's right. If you had been here, my brother had not died. You can search Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all over the place. You'll never find anyone dying in the presence of the Lord Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, verse 23, Thy brother shall rise again. Now we see somewhat of Martha's faith in the Old Testament scripture. Martha said unto him, I I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She's referring to Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, and Isaiah chapter 26, 19. Those are two verses you want to jot in the margin next to verse 24, because that's what she's referring to. These two Old Testament passages that clearly teach that there is a resurrection from the dead. And she's saying, well, I know he'll rise again. I know that God has some way far hence resurrection program, and one day my brother's body will rise from the dead. Limited understanding of who Christ is. She understands the Old Testament passages on resurrection. And so now the Lord Jesus will say the most, some of the most tremendous words he ever spoke. Verse 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? The Lord Jesus lovingly and yet firmly says to Martha, Martha, you don't understand who I am. I'm not just in charge of some resurrection program someday. I am the resurrection. I am life. It's not just that he has life or it gives life. He is life. He is life. That's what he said in John 14, 6. I am the the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. What did we learn the other day? I am the door by me. If any man enter and he shall be saved. I am the resurrection. I am life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Now, I'm not much to look at. I understand that. You have five foot five, distinguished graying hair. (laughs) I'm not much to look at, but you're looking at someone who will never die. I will never die. Why? Because on September 19, 1976, in the back of the Maranatha Baptist Church in Okinawa, Japan, while I was serving in the U.S. Air Force as a 20-year-old airman, 20-year-old Roman Catholic, (laughs) I heard for the first time in my life how to be saved, how to be born again. And I understood my sinfulness and my total inability to save my own soul by religious or moral means. I understood because I'd broken the laws of God, I deserved death and hell. 
I deserve to go to hell. You can't get saved till you come to that point. Then you don't understand why you need saving. That night I understood that Jesus Christ was God coming in a human body who died on that old rugged cross in my place, paying the debt of my sin, a debt I could never pay. And he died so that I might live, and he rose again from the dead, and he was offering to me that night eternal life. And that night I called on the Lord Jesus, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be, not maybe, not hopefully, not find out someday when you die. At that moment, my dead spirit, my dead spirit came alive. And I had a relationship with the God of heaven that is eternal, that is forever. And I will be with him for eternity future. And I can never die. The only way that I could die is if God dies. (laughs) And that will never happen. As long as he lives, I live. Because the night I got saved, he put his life inside of me. I house in this body the spirit of the living God. I house in this body the very life of God. And so do you if you're saved. Oh, they might put this old body, this old Dusty clay thing. They might put that in the grave, but the real me is going on forever and ever and ever with the Lord. Jesus says to you tonight, do you believe this? Do you believe it? you believe it enough to receive it? See, a lot of people, you, you ought to travel where I travel. Well, I believe everything you said tonight. Okay, then receive it. See, you can be about to die because you have a disease and you're holding the medicine in your hand. I believe. I believe that's the medicine. I believe the the chemical properties within those pills. It's not going to do you a bit of good. You can believe it all you want, but until you receive it, it's not going to, it was not going to help you unless you receive it. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. She said in verse 27, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the promised one through all those prophets of the Old Testament, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Well, they call Mary and similar experience. Verse 32, Mary was come when she, where Jesus was, saw him, fell down at his feet, saying unto him, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. You can tell they're sisters. Mm -hmm. Now get this, verse 33, And Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her. He groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, Where have ye laid him? Where's Lazarus' body? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. This is a tender compassion. A true comment, a typical concern, a timely challenge. I forgot that. Timely challenge. I am the resurrection and the life. And then a a tender compassion. Jesus wept, and it's been asked for centuries, why is he weeping? Well, he's weeping because his friend Lazarus died. No. In just another minute, he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. It says that when he saw all these people weeping, remember in the first century you hired 
mourners. You hired people to cry at the wedding. They're professional criers. I mean, they know how to turn it on and turn it off at a price. And they're supposed to add to the environment of the morning. You hire these people to cry at your wedding. So he sees these people. He sees those that are genuinely crying. He sees this whole place full of sepulchers, full of graves. And he wept. And he wept because of verse 33. He groaned in the spirit. Which literally means he was angry. He groaned. You ever groan in your spirit? And he was troubled or agitated. What was troubling him? Death. Everywhere around him he looks, it's death. And he wept. He wept. He wept because of the great horror that death produces. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. James says in James 1.15, And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Romans 6.23, The wages of sin is death. Sin is the great horror that produces death. God never intended man to die when he created Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve sinned against God. He said, the moment you touch that tree, the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt die. Didn't die at that moment, but they died spiritually and then eventually died physically. And so the Lord weeps over you if you're not saved. Because he knows because of that sin in your heart and life that you've never allowed the blood of Christ to cleanse, that sin is going to kill you. Oh, I believe Jesus is angry with sin. He's angry. That so many live in sin and reject him and refuse him and resist him. It makes him weep. Weeping over some of you. Jesus wept. Then we come to our, our final point, which is the two courses. The two courses. Verse 38, Jesus therefore again groaning in himself cometh to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. And Jesus said, take ye away the stone. But now we have a problem. Martha, the sister of him. See, it was only by permission of the next of kin that you could remove a stone from in front of a a tomb. Here's the next of kin, Martha, and she's protesting. When Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, Lord, by this time he stinketh. For he had been dead four days. According to the Jews, he's really dead. (laughs) After three days, you're dead, but four days, you're really dead. (laughs) This guy is dead. And Martha says, Lord, Lord, you, you, you can't remove that stone. If you remove that stone, the stench of my brother's decomposing, decaying body The stink is going to leave that tomb and invade the nasal cavities of all my friends. And I will be terribly embarrassed. Martha almost allows embarrassment and public opinion to keep her from one of the greatest miracles Jesus would would ever perform on this earth. Don't allow embarrassment to keep you from coming to Jesus. Don't allow, don't allow public opinion. What are, what are my, what's my extended family going to think if I get this born-again business? After I heard this music, these people are crazy. 
Who are these people? That's what I thought the first night I went to a church like this, and I was a Roman Catholic. Some of you have the same background I had. Boy, this is different. <laughs> I'm serious. I went to that Maranatha. What's a Maranatha? I go to Maranatha Baptist. I didn't even know what a Baptist church was. Never heard of it. <laughs> so who are these people? <laughs> I did. I said, these people are crazy. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> I went to see my drinking buddy. I'm drinking. We got drunk together all the time. And now he got saved and he's going to be baptized and begged me to come and watch it. I didn't want to. I made every excuse why I couldn't go there. But he took them all away, and I went. And his dear friend, Bo Nelson, I watched him follow the Lord and believers' baptism. I didn't understand it. But that church had 500 people that night who all wanted to shake his hand. <laughs> Congratulate, Bo Nelson. You got baptized tonight. Right hand of fellowship. I'm thinking 500 people want to shake this dude's hand. How long are we going to be here? <laughs> I said, get me out of here. And it took that man, Mark Cheney, a Navy man, took the Navy to get the job done. And that Navy man, Mark Cheney, came to me after that service while I was waiting for my ride home, shared with me from the Bible how to be saved, and he led me to Christ that night. I've never been the same since. But don't let public opinion, don't let what somebody's going to say. I tell you, my Catholic family was furious when they found out that I'd been saved, baptized, and joined a Baptist church. They, they, they came unglued. That's all right. That's all right. <laughs> because one month after I was saved, my brother was saved. Yeah. Eight months after I was saved, both my parents were saved. Amen. Twelve Amen. years later, my older brother was saved. Some years later, I led my Lutheran grandmother to Christ. Yeah. And so don't let embarrassment or the fear of man, or any fear of what public opinion might say, keep you from Jesus raising you from, from the dead, from out of your deadness. And so she complies, because Jesus said in verse 40, Jesus saith unto her, Set her not unto thee, that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone, Verse 43, when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Amen. And he that was dead came forth. Now, I don't agree with everything Augustine said. If you know anything about church history and who Augustine was, he had a lot of things that were not right. But one thing he did say, though, that I agree with, Augustine said, it's a good thing that Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. <laughs> For had Jesus simply said, come forth, every single dead person on the earth, every grave would open up, and all of the world who ever died would be resurrected. <laughs> the power, the authority of the Lord Jesus, who stood before the tomb of Lazarus and commanded, come forth, Lazarus, come forth. The Lord Jesus takes Lazarus' soul that had departed four days ago and throws it right back in that body. <laughs> Lazarus is now alive. He's alive. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes. 
Because that's the way you got buried. No embalming. You got buried the same day you died. And they mummified you. All these grave clothes wrappings. And his face was bound about with a napkin. And so here's a, another miracle because he floated out of that tomb. Because he's, all, he's totally bound up. He, I mean, unless he went like this, you know. <laughs> I've been, to, I've been to Bethany many times. Some of you have been with me to Bethany. You see the tomb of Lazarus. And you, you kind of picture as you're looking at the tomb of Lazarus, man, how did he, how did he get out of there all bound up like that? He's also he floated out by God's power. But I love this. He was bound hand and foot with grave clothes and his face bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and put on the grace clothes. <laughs> and this is exactly what happens when you get saved, when you're born again. Because until you're born again, you're all bound up in your sin. And the Lord Jesus calls to you in front of the tomb of your deadness. You're spiritually dead. You only know about God. You don't know Him. And yet the Lord Jesus stands before your life and of his great love and mercy and grace and passion, he calls to you, your name, come forth. And you who are spiritually dead, you come forth. And you are raised from your spiritual deadness to be alive forevermore and to walk in newness of life. He looses you. From the penalty of sin, he looses you from the enslaving dominion of sin in your life. And the Lord Jesus comes inside of you and he snaps. He snaps the power of sin in your life. And you become a brand new creature in Christ. Loose him and let him go. That's what he wants to do to you. The two courses, how are the people that are watching this miracle, how are they going to respond? Always one of two ways. Verse 45 is the preferred course, the wise course. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. <laughs> See, there were many that were teetering. They'd seen other people believe in Jesus, and they said, oh, I just don't know, I just don't know. And then they see this miracle. That's it! <laughs> I fully believe that this is the Messiah. This is God incarnate. This is the one who can save my soul. I believe. That's the preferred course. But then there's always this group. Verse 46. But. But is a contrast word. But some of them. Some of them. They saw the very same miracle. They saw the Lord Jesus stand before a man who's dead four days and raise him from the dead. All these other people are believing, but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees. We learned about them Sunday morning, who were the Pharisees, the enemies of Christ, the very ones that were planning and plotting the death of Christ. We've got to kill him. Too many people are believing on him. They went to the enemy. They saw the miracle. They went running the, the two miles from Bethany to Jerusalem to tattle on the Lord Jesus. They go running to the enemy. 
running to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. The saddest thing I've ever seen as an evangelist, and I'm preaching at a different, different church every week, the saddest thing I've ever seen are people that I, I know they were out there and they're not saved yet, not born again. And yet when I come to the end of this message, I give you an opportunity to come and receive Christ as Savior, that you can come out of your tomb of deadness, that you can have Christ raise you from the dead, spiritually dead, but he'll raise you to spiritual life. And instead of believing, verse 45, many go out that back door hand in hand with the enemy. The enemy, the devil who successfully persuaded you to stay there and not come. Leave tonight unsaved, lost, hellbound. And you leave here tonight hand in hand with the devil as you go out the back door. Sad. Sad. And so there's always been two courses. You're either going to believe and receive Christ as Savior, or you can leave your hand in hand with the enemy. What's it going to be? <laughs> One final word, and that's simply this. What if? What if the Lord Jesus had stood before the tomb of Lazarus and said, Lazarus, come forth! And there's a hesitation, and there's a silence, and all of a sudden we hear from the tomb... I don't want to. You, you, you don't want to? No, I love my darkness. I love my deadness. I don't want to come out of this tomb. That sounds comical, but you know that's exactly what people do? It's exactly. Some of you tonight may say the same thing. Because I'm going to say... The Lord's calling you to spiritual life. He wants you to have a born-again experience that you could be saved, washed in the blood, given eternal life. The guilt, the shame of sin lifted. You're absolutely forgiven forever, and you'll be with God in heaven. That's what he's offering you. And yet some will say, I don't want to. I hear your voice calling to me. The Spirit of God's moving around this room right now. The Spirit of God is touching your heart. Will you believe Will you come by faith and receive Christ as your Savior and Lord and receive the gift of eternal life? Will you tell him tonight? Will you really tell him, I don't want to? I know what you're offering me. I know what that preacher preached. Uh, not tonight. I'm going to leave here hand in hand with the enemy. I don't want to come out of my tomb. I don't want to leave my deadness. Is that really what you're going to do?